Thanks, Amy. Uh, for those of you who have been watching, uh, yes, Cam, Amy, and I dressed alike today. Uh, but no, it wasn't intentional. So, um, so there, it's just Valentine's. So, of course, you wear whatever red stuff you've got. So, guys, if you just looked at me shocked, yes, today is Valentine's. You've got time. All right, my name is Fred. I am the lead pastor here, and I am glad that you're with us today. Uh, really, no matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you, and um, it feels good to be together, doesn't it? Um, and so for those of you that are here in person, thank you. For those of you that are watching at home, thank you for joining us. We are glad uh, that you are with us. Now, um, something that you may or may not know about me is that uh, for years I was a missionary, uh, and worked with an organization that planted churches all over the world. And, and typically what we would do is we would hone in on specific areas. And one of the areas that I honed in on and traveled to quite a bit was Russia. And, and when I say Russia, I mean like uh, the deep uh, part of Russia. You know, we would, here, here's what it would normally consist of. We would hop on a flight. I would be leading the team. We'd hop on a flight from Dallas, usually transfer in Frankfurt. So about an eight to 10 hour flight to Frankfurt. And then I can't tell you how many times I remember running through the Frankfurt airport to catch the flight uh, to Moscow. And so we'd do a, lot, a, little, a little quick trip to Moscow on some airlines, which by the way, were a little bit scary uh, when, we, when we flew. Uh, we'd arrive in Moscow and then immediately transfer to the train station where we would do either a 12-hour or 24-hour ride on a train to go deep into Russia. And here's what's crazy. You would think that the cities that we would go to were these rural, um, nobody had heard of towns. These were cities that we would go to that had millions of people living in them. Russia is this huge, huge country. And so we would be there for 10 days to two weeks, sharing the gospel, planting churches, uh, training pastors. It was, it was a ton of fun, but y'all, it was exhausting work. And so when we came back, uh, we would always schedule a couple of days in Moscow to just chill and celebrate and relax before we, we started flying back home. Um, because of that, I got pretty... Ad- at knowing my way around Moscow. I could lead a team uh, from where our hotel was to Red Square. Red Square, I could take them into St. Basil's Cathedral and, and walk through there, even Lenin's tomb, which is creepy as all get out. We would go to this place called the Goom, which was a mall. It was a mall, and we would go there. I even knew, like, the best McDonald's because that's exactly what everybody wanted. As soon as we got to Moscow, everybody wanted something that was familiar. Even after eating great food, uh, it's still foreign food, and so your, your palate wants something that's familiar. Well, on one particular trip, as, as we had already done our, our work in, in the city that we were working in, uh, we were back in Moscow, and I was taking the team somewhere. We're actually on our way back to the hotel, and as I turned the corner for the road that the hotel was on, I noticed there was this guy uh, sitting in the street begging. And he was obviously handicapped, which means begging was the only way he could provide for himself and his family. Unfortunately, where in, the, in, in Moscow in particular, that was a very common sight, is to see, uh, to see people uh, begging. Uh, but I mean, it's like here, you go downtown sometimes and, and, and you see the homeless population. It was the same in Moscow. You, you see that. And so quite honestly, I saw this guy and, and I didn't pay him much attention. Uh, and, and as I led the team, as I led the team, we literally walked right past him. And when we walked past him, like, like something shifted in me. 
And it was, it was very un- uncommon, but it was, it was, it was very real. And, and, and I felt the Lord tell me to give this guy a certain amount of rubles. And that, that's Russian currency. I had some in my pocket. And, 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 and what I had in my pocket would cover what I felt like God wanted me to, to give to him. And honestly, in, in U.S. dollars, it wasn't very much. But in Russian rubles at that time, it was. And, and, and I got to tell you, like, y'all, I wrestled with this. Right? Because here I am. I'm leading this team and, 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 and we keep getting further and further away from him. Our hotel's still down the road. And I, I mean, like, I remember thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do, God? Am I supposed to just turn the whole team around and go back? Is that really showy? Like, they're going to see me give money? Like, like, all of these things running through my head. Also, too, I'm like, is this really God talking to me? You know, like, has, has anybody been there where you felt like God was asking you to do something and you've just got all these questions? Even though you might clearly know what the next step is. And that's right where I was. I, I, I was questioning, gosh, is this, is this God? Is this the right move? How do I do this? And, but here's what I knew. Literally every step that I took away from this guy, that prompting got heavier and heavier and heavier. Until finally I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And, and so I told the team, I was like, hey, y'all, the hotel's just right up there. Um, I've got to go do something real quick. I'll circle back with you and catch up with you. Y'all just keep going. So I ran back. At this point, we were only like 40, 50 feet away from him, so not too far. So I ran back, and I put those rubles in his can. And do you know what happened? Nothing. Like, literally, I don't even think he looked up at me. Now, here, here's, here, here's why I say this. Because oftentimes, when you take the step that God is asking you to take, very rarely do you get an earthly reward for that. But you do get a revelation. You do get to know God better. You get to know his son Jesus better. You get to know yourself better, what it means to be in Christ. And sometimes you get to even know the person you're serving better. So you don't always get this earthly reward, but you do get a revelation. Let me tell you what the revelation was on this one. So I catch back up with the team. And, and I kind of make my way through the team, and, and, and this woman from the back of the team comes up to me, and she looked at me, and she said, God told you to do that, didn't he? And I said, yeah, he did, actually. He even told me, like, how many rubles to give this guy. And she said, God told me the same thing. She told me to give him, he told me to give, her, to give him the same amount of money. The moment we turned the corner and saw him, God spoke to me. And she said, she said something which, which amazed me because I knew her face. She said, but I questioned him. I doubted and I said no. And I said no the moment that we passed him. I said, I can't stop. And I said, well, that's when God told me. And so here was, here was this revelation that I had. Is, is that doubt... When we doubt what God has told us to do, when we doubt what God has told us is true, when we doubt, it actually postpones God's power. It, it, it puts it on pause. And we're going to talk about what this power is. But did God shift his prompting from her to me? It would appear so. What is the theology behind that? I do not have a clue. I'm just telling you this is what happened. But here's what I do know. Y'all, I know what it's like to wrestle with God. Right? I know what it's like to doubt. I, I, I know what it's like to know when, when God has clearly said, Fred, this is your next step. 
Fred, this is who I want you to be in this meeting. This is, this is the type of person I want you to be today. I know what it's like to hear God's voice in a very clear way and be like, I don't know. I don't know. Is that, is that really you or is that just really good coffee? Right? Like I know what it's like to, to take that next step too and to see no results. Anybody do that? Anybody follow God and nothing happens? I know what that's like. I even know what it's like to follow God and see things get worse than better. I know what that's like. But church, here's what I hope happens today. Let let me encourage you. Because here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see that doubt can move to faith. And when doubt moves to faith, it turns into power. Right? And we're going to see that. Because when doubt moves to faith and faith moves to power, there is a revelation. And here's what I hope and pray for each of us today. And I've been praying it. I've been praying it as I've been working on this message is that each of you have a revelation from God today. That each of you know who Jesus is better when you leave this place. That you know yourself better in Christ. And that maybe even you know those that you are serving better. And so today, excuse me, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to do verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 10. Now, here's the deal with the book of Ephesians. We're going to cover a lot of ground quickly in the book of Ephesians. The deal with teaching Ephesians is I can either do a series, a one-year series on the book of Ephesians or an eight-week series on the book of Ephesians, right? Because I can preach an entire sermon on any one of these verses that we're going to cover today. But we're doing this series for a reason. Because the theme of the book of Ephesians is unity. It's being together. And that's why we're calling this series Together. Because we're seeing how the gospel breaks down every barrier to unity that there is in the church. And, and like I said last week, I don't know if you've noticed, but things are pretty divided in the country right now, right? And not just our country, they're divided in the world. And it's real easy to let what's happening in the culture seep into the church. Well, Paul is very clear to say, no, no, no. The church of Jesus Christ is not divided. It is unified because the gospel tears down those those barriers. The gospel tears down every wall that we build that divides us from God and divides us from each other. Now, last week, if you were here or if you if you watched online, you saw that that I had this hula hoop up here, right? And do you remember what the hula hoop said? I said, I said it's to remind me to what? To live in the hoop, right? To live in the identity that Christ has has for us, to live in Christ. And, and, and last week we discovered that when we see ourselves the way God sees us, we see others the way that God sees them. And when that happens, it tears down these walls that we build. Well, today he continues with what I'm thinking is a very common response to that incredible truth of our identity. That we are chosen and adopted and redeemed and given the Holy Spirit. That it's real easy to say to those things, yeah, but, right? It's real easy to hear about your identity in Christ and, and, and to hear that you are chosen by God and then to go, yeah, but how do I know if I'm really chosen? Right? Anybody ever ask that question? It's real easy to hear you are adopted into the family of God. And, and it's real easy to go, yeah, but if that's true, why do I feel so alone? Right? 
It's easy to hear you are redeemed, which means you are set free because Jesus Christ has set you free. And it's really easy to go, yeah, but I mean, I understand I'm free, but, but there are still rules that I have to follow, right, for God to, to like me and love me. Right? It's easy to hear you're given the Holy Spirit and to say, yeah, but why don't I hear him and feel him the way other people do? You see, it's easy to hear those truths and to go, yeah, but. So let me ask you, any of those sound familiar to you? Anybody say stuff like that in your head before or even in a courageous moment say that stuff out loud to a group of believers? I know what it's like. Because I say, yeah, but all the time, right? And this phrase, this yeah, but, this, this phrase that was going through my head when, when God laid it on my heart to give rubles to this guy, this phrase, yeah, but, is a phrase of doubt. And doubt is a barrier to unity because doubt postpones God's power. Now, I want to be clear that, 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 that the text that we're going to go through, doubt is not mentioned in here at all. And, and here's why I'm making it a, a point of this message. Because as I try to follow Paul's logic and to go, why? Why does he talk about identity and then go into our salvation? What is the link there? And as I evaluated my own heart, I was like, oh, because that's really hard to believe. It's really hard to believe that my identity is really that real in Christ. And so what Paul's doing is he's taking, I think, I think he's taking that question that many people will ask and answering it for us. And he's going to answer it by showing us what our faith is and where our power resides. So let's dive in uh, and see what Paul says. Because here's the deal. When, when you and I doubt God, what we do is we build these walls between us, between each other, and between God. So let's see how God tears those walls down. Let's dive in and see what he says. In chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says this, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And so, so Paul's doing what's common in the day. Whenever you wrote a letter to somebody, you would have a little part where you you said you know you told them what you were thankful for about them and you told them what you were praying for about them it's a very common way to write and Paul's using that but it's important for us to see what he was thankful for and what he was praying for them for right because he was praying for them for something very specific the NIV if you use that translation the new international version uh, we teach from the ESV the English standard version but the NIV uh, sometimes I love to look at it because um, the way they word thing sometimes I think captures a better picture. And the NIV says this. It says that Paul was praying for them so that they would know God better. Right? Because here's the deal. Remember, they just got this incredible truth that they are adopted and, and, and that, they, that they are chosen and adopted and redeemed and given the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so now he's praying for them. He's like, he's like, listen, if you don't believe me, here's what I want you to do. And here's my prayer for you is that you know God. Because if you know God, you will know that's true. And so he prays for them to increase in their wisdom and knowledge of God better. Because the way God sees us, it's real easy to go, yeah, but. And it's real easy to doubt that that's really the way 
God sees us. It's really easy to doubt the truths that we've been taught about God. But what in the world does knowing God mean? Right? It's a big question, isn't it? What does it mean to know God? Well, Paul elaborates. Look at verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Having your, the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know the hope to what he has called you. And y'all, i got to tell you, hope is a great word. Right? Because here's what, what hope does. Hope, hope points to our expectations. Let me ask you this. What, were your, what are your hopes for 2021? Right? What are your hopes for 2021? Do you hope that this pandemic comes to an end? I sure do. I hope we're not still doing all of this by the end of 2021. Parents, you don't have to give me an amen on this, but do you hope your kids get to go back to school? Right? Kids, do you hope to go back to school? Students, do you hope to be able to go to the movies with your friends and and go to places with your friends without having to worry about masks and physically distancing and all that? Does anybody in here want employment this year? Anybody want to fall in love this year? You see, hope is such this powerful, great word because it really does point to our expectations. Like literally, in the Greek, the, the language that this was written in, hope, hope points to what you expect to happen. And it can mean the things that you hope go well or the things that you anticipate will go bad in the original, in the original Greek. And Paul is saying here that, that there's something that we need to know about, about our hope in God. Because when you know God, there's hope. And, 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 and he, need, he wants to tell you something about that hope and that that hope is rooted in God. That hope is anchored in God. That hope is tied to God. Your expectations are tied to who God is, are tied to knowing him. And if our hope, if what we expect to happen is tied to God, look at what Paul wants us to know. In the rest of verse 18, it says this. He says, the hope to which, to which he has called you. And, and he describes that hope. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And so, so let me sum that up for you, right? Because Paul uses really big words sometimes, doesn't he? And he loves a run-on sentence. Right? All you grammar people are like, what in the world? Right? But this is what Paul does. But, but here's what he's saying. He's saying our hope is found in God's power. Right? And this word power in Greek is the word we get dynamite from. It's the word dynamos. Right? And it means, it means powerful and explosion. We're going to see that. And so let's follow Paul here because last week we saw our identity and this amazing truth. And it's so easy to go, yeah, but it's so easy, easy to doubt. And Paul's answer to this is to know God, to know that your hope and your doubts are found in the power of God. They're found in God's power. And so what is God's power? Let's, let's look. In verse 20, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so here's Paul's first example of God's power. He's like, look at Jesus You want to see God's power? God raised Jesus from the dead. Right? That's pretty powerful. When someone raises from the dead, you pay attention. Right? And it's fairly uncommon. 
That's why you pay attention. Because God's doing something. And Paul says this is the, 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 the first display of God's power. When someone raises from the dead, you pay attention. What else shows God's power? Look at verse 20. The rest of it, it says, And seated him, so seated Jesus, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so not only did God raise Jesus from the dead to show God's power, he also put Jesus in a place where Jesus now has authority and always has had authority over everything that is spiritual. Anybody get scared by stuff that goes bump in the night? Jesus has authority over that. Anybody, anybody ever believe, or kids, do y'all believe this now? Like, like, do you ever get scared about what's in the closet at night or what's under your bed at night? Do you ever hear something move where stuff shouldn't be moving? Jesus has authority over that. He has power over that. And God gave that to him. Look, look, look at this. Jesus has power over all things. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So not only did God raise Jesus from the dead to display his power, not only is Jesus over every spiritual thing, over everything that, that, that to display his power, he also says, oh, and guess what? He's over the church, us. I had a kid one time refer to me as the boss of church, which although I appreciate the title, is not true. Right? Jesus is the head of the church. So when you think about churches in general, he's the head of them, and he is the head over individual churches because of the power that God has given him. Because you see, what Paul's point is, is that if you want to know God, if you want to know God's power, God's power is seen in Jesus. Look at what Jesus did, and you'll see God's power. If you want to know God's power, look to Jesus. Listen, here's what Jesus did. Jesus told demons to flee, and guess what they did? They ran. Right? Jesus healed the incurable. People that couldn't be healed, Jesus healed them. He forgave the unforgivable. He, de he, he denied the laws of physics by walking on water in calming storms. He looked at the religious leaders of the time and he rebuked them for their, for their love of power instead of submitting to him, the Savior that they had been waiting for. Because that was his, his heart, is that he longed for them to submit to God's plan instead of holding on to power for themselves. You want to see God's power, you want to know God, look to Jesus. You see, but God's power seen in Jesus doesn't stop here because Paul is about to get really, really personal. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He starts off, he switches, right, from talking about Jesus to talking about who. If you have your Bible, what are the first two words? And you. And you. Oh, so now Paul's about to talk about us. He's about to talk about you and me. What does he, what does he say? Verse 1, he says, And you 
were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, you were once a people without God. Now remember, Paul was raised in a Jewish home and a Jewish faith and was a Jew among Jews. Like he knew the God of Israel. And God told him to go share the gospel. When he met Jesus, he had this very clear call to go share the good news of Jesus to people that didn't have that call of God. And so we know in Ephesus that these letters were being passed around not just to to Jewish people, but also to those who didn't know anything about the Jewish faith, or at least not much. They they, they didn't know what, what Paul knew. And so what he's doing is he is reminding them and us, no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, he's saying, listen, remember, before you met Jesus, you were dead. You were someone else. That, that living in the hoop, that chosen and adopted and, and, and redeemed and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, all of that happened when you said yes to Jesus. So remember what happened before then. And then he says one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture when it keeps showing up in verse 4, the first two words here are, but God. Like you were that way, but God. That God changed you. And then he's going to say why he changed you. And y'all, I love this because here's the revelation of God. Because look at what he says in the rest of verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. So, so why did God choose you? Why are you adopted? Uh, why, why are you redeemed? Why are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Church, listen to me. It's because God loves you. That's why. Another author in the New Testament will say that God is love. Very appropriate for Valentine's Day. If you want to know what love is, know God because he is love. And because he loves you, he changed you. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Y'all, do you know what the Greek word for dead means? Dead. It doesn't mean struggling to do right. Right? It doesn't mean needing a lifeboat. It means dead. Dead. And he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. So what does verse 7 have to do with all this? It's grace. Why did God change you? Because he loves you. And because of his grace. And grace means this. Grace is all of God's goodness given to us in Christ. Right? When, when you say yes to Jesus, you're in that hoop. You get to experience all the goodness of Christ. You get to experience all the, all the love of God is given to you because of what Jesus Christ did. And so, so what Paul's doing here is he's saying, listen, do you want to see God's power? Look to Jesus. 
But then he's telling those listeners, but remember, you've done more than see God's power. He's saying, if you want to see God's power, look to Jesus. But if you want to experience God's power like you have, remember? Remember God changed you and you experienced God's power for yourself? And that's what he's reminding them of. That not only is God's power seen in Jesus, that God's power is experienced in Jesus. Right? Seeing God's power is one thing. Y'all know that there were people who followed Jesus, who saw him do miracles, who saw him, who saw him walk on water, who saw, him, who saw him feed thousands of people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. There were people who were healed by Jesus, right? Who, who, who got to see that, that healing, and yet they didn't believe him. You see, seeing God's power on display is one thing. Experiencing God's power is something completely different. You see, you and I have been raised from our sin. From our, that's the, the word for trespasses. Is, it means sin. It means things that, that we do that, that God would want us not to do and the things we don't do that God would want us to do. That's sin. And here's the deal. like We're all sinners. Right? Every single one of us. We have sin in our life. We, we do that. But we have been raised to life in Christ. We have been made new by God. You see, and we've done it in the way that God has always wanted us to experience it in Jesus. Being in Jesus is something that you can't watch other people do. And, and, and kids, I want you to pay attention to this. Because your parents' faith isn't your faith. You can experience Jesus all for yourself. Because in them, you can see Jesus and you can see what he's doing and who he is. But God's invitation is for you to accept Jesus and for you to experience God just the way your parents have, just the way those before you have. That's the invitation. Because, and that's what we mean when we talk about saying yes to Jesus. That's what we mean. And just to make sure that, that no one's confused about what this gospel is that tears down barriers, what this gospel is that changes you, Paul gives what I think is one of the best and most concise explanations of the gospel. And, and, and it's found in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's our next two verses. If you don't have these verses memorized, memorize them. Because they are the heart of our gospel. Look at this. It says... Um, where am I? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so what Jesus is saying is like this power of God seen in Jesus, this power of God experienced in Jesus is yours to receive. That's it. It's yours to receive. It is a gift. And it's not by works. And so, so how does doubt move to faith? And how does, how, does, how does faith move to power? It's this. Doubt moves to faith by just believing. Believing in God's power. You know, you, you can't move negative thoughts to positive thoughts on your own. You can try, but the negative thoughts keep coming up, don't they? And so what we do is we hope in God's power. 
we rest in the power of God that could raise a man from the dead and put him in authority above all the things that have authority. We put our hope in a God that has changed us. We hope in God's power because God holds all the power. And for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, for those, first of all, for those of you who haven't, then say yes to Jesus today. Let today be the yes that you put your faith in Him, your hope and your belief in Jesus. And for those of you who have, had, who have done that, the question is, okay, I get it. Know God, God's power seen in Jesus, God's power is experienced in Jesus. I got it. But what in the world does power look like? Paul answers that question. Because look at verse 10, which is actually my favorite verse. I've memorized seven, I mean eight, nine, and ten, because I love ten so much, because it makes seven and eight make, make sense too. Ten, verse 10 says this. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So so, so here's where Paul concludes this thought, and, and here's where we're shutting down the message, is this, is that God's work in you, right? God's power experienced in Jesus in you is seen in good works through you. God's Work in you is seen in good works through you. And so what does good works mean? Good works mean, means as God is to you, so you are to others. That's what it means. As God loves you, you love others. Isn't that scandalous? Right? Because one of the things that Jesus did, which, which, was, which was mind-blowing, is he took the people that nobody else loved and he loved them. He took the the prostitutes and the drunks and the tax collectors and the the women caught in adultery and, and said, I don't condemn you. Because he loved them. And he showed them a better way. You see, God's power in you produces good works through you. And God's power is seen in those good works. Now listen, it's not the good works you create. That's the beauty of this, right? It's not you waking up every day and saying, okay, i got to do this and i got to do this, i got to do this. It's you waking up every day and saying, God, what have you prepared for me to do today? Because that's what I love about this verse, that those good works are prepared in advance for you, so walk in them. And so these good works aren't, aren't the stuff that you have to create this energy around and, and do. All you have to do is cooperate with what God is already doing. So do you see how vital it is that Paul said, oh, and by the way, I pray for you to know God. Because if you know God, you know how to love others. If you love God, you know what good works looks like. You see, your job, church, is to walk in them. And you see, church, God's power in you isn't seen in, in our force and in our effort. It isn't seen in our, um, in our striving. Any of you get tired being a Christian sometimes? Rest. Rest in hope. Rest in power. Because, because God's power isn't seen in our force and effort. God's power in you is about cooperation. It's about working 
with Jesus. Do you remember us talking about that? Working with Jesus. And so today, church, let's not let our doubt postpone God's power anymore. Let's cooperate with Jesus because he's worthy to be trusted. That God's power in you and through you is real. And the question for you to ask, the question for us to ask, is where is God working in and through you? Because I, I would imagine that's how he wants you to work in and through others. See, what God's working in you is the good works he is preparing for you today. Now remember, remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the, the, the thrive angle? Right? In, in the very first part, the top part was being with Jesus. Well, here's what I want us to do. I want us to end this message with just about a minute. Right? Of being still and listening to the Holy Spirit that God has given you. And I'm going to pray for you to have a revelation. A revelation of, of who God is. A revelation of, of what good works He has for you today. And I'm going to give a, a, a few prompts. But, but I want to give us some time to be with Jesus. And kids, you can join us in this. You can close your eyes and hold your hands together and pray with us and listen to the Spirit of God. What is he telling you about himself? And who is he telling you to show that to? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to give a, a, a little bit of time here for your voice to speak. And, and I pray that you would do that. I, I pray um, that in your faithfulness and in your love and in your mercy, you would speak to us. And you would show us who you are, that you would show us uh, what good work that you have prepared for us to do today. And I pray for us, Lord, that that good work uh, comes from your heart, not ours. And I pray that when you speak, um, we, we don't say, yeah, but, we just say, yeah, I'll do it. And so let's just take a minute and, and just listen. God, who are you? What are you like? Show us. Church, is there kindness in God that you need to, to give kindness to someone else? Is there forgiveness in who God is that is prompting you to forgive someone today? To release them from having to, to get back at them, to release them from your, from your vengeance and to let God have them, to let God deal with them? Is there mercy in who God is? And is there someone that he's placed in front of you that needs to see that mercy of God in you? Is there this this love of God, this, this no-strings-attached, unconditional, crazy love of God that someone in your home needs to see today. Jesus, we love you. And I ask that, that you would help us be a people that walk in the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. And Father, that, that in that we would know you better, we would know 
ourselves better, we would know um, those we serve better, and that you would get the glory for it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.